Thank you for listening to New Life Preaching, sermons from New Life Baptist Church, where we grow in discipleship, grow in relationship, and we grow in Jesus Christ. Please subscribe so that you don't miss a Sunday. So Matthew chapter 5, I begin in verse 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Heavenly Father, we come to your word. As we walk through this study, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. Father, that you would open our eyes to the truth that's revealed here in Scripture. Lord, that that we don't heap upon ourselves um, a a guilt that produces judgment, but a guilt that produces repentance. Father, we pray that we are drawn to you, that we see the way in which we must rely upon Christ, the way in which we communicate Christ. And Father, that I wouldn't speak, but that you would through me this morning That you forgive each one of us here and Lord bear witness in and among us by your spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. So like I said, Jesus has really been walking through. Last week he talked about the the, the commandment, thou shalt not kill. This one, he goes to the, the next commandment out of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. He doesn't abolish it, but shows how it's fulfilled and he applies it to the depths of our sinfulness. I'm just gonna go on and give uh, these fill-in-the-blanks to you because there's, we're gonna walk through this passage verse by verse, but I want us to have time to have an honest discussion And I don't want you as much focused on the notes. The way we're going to look at this is by viewing first our context. Our context. We're going to see our condition. Is that second point? And lastly, we're going to look at our response. Our context, our condition, our response. And I know that's not like normal. So this is rather difficult for me this week. It's one of the blessings, though, in just walking through a book is, is, is God holds us accountable in his word. 
Amen. He doesn't allow us to, to skip over uncomfortable parts or parts that are uh, a little more touchy to preach on. And I don't think we could handle this passage faithfully or apply it fully unless we first realize the context to which this word is coming to us. If we look at where we stand in our uh, culture, society, history, uh, and in our community, right now, the condition uh, or the context in which we live for this message to be preached today, we're in what's been called a time of sexual revolution. Uh, sexual revolution, that's what we're in the midst of. This is whenever it's caused many people to sway, paradigms are being shifted and shattered. Um, morals are, are, are being changed or, or, or crumbled. And, and as you're following along, this leads to a number of misunderstandings because what we see in our, in our culture is really this has become the standard by which we gauge freedom. We think that our level of engagement or involvement um, is in, in, in sexual things is what grants us freedom. Interestingly enough, even from the early times, we saw a seed sown even from back in the 20s whenever we fought the battle of civil rights, gaining equality in things for, for women and minorities. Somehow or another, and surprisingly, we gauged we look in the history books, we're able to gauge the success of these women and minorities and their ability to have relationships or even intimate intimacy outside of the home, outside of marriage or prior to marriage. And even apart from family, not having children, now at the point to where we fight for the freedom to murder these women's children. This is all tied to the sexual revolution that we're in. It continues and has corrupted our very identity so that whenever the people, the culture that we speak to now says, this is me, how I define myself is the way that I involve or orient myself among a, a gender or sex or involve myself with those around me at this level. No longer is their identity rightly found in the fact that they're made in the image of God. It's a huge and grave misunderstanding. We somehow think this brings about an equality. And as we continue to uh, reject God's definitions, God's prescriptions, God's redemption for, for all of our circumstances, no matter what it may be, this isn't against 
anyone, any struggle. Indeed, we'll find, I think, most all of us are guilty on some level this morning. But uh, we don't see, we're not, we find equality in something that is scripturally defined in sin, not in the gospel of Jesus Christ that says there is neither man nor woman, Greek nor Jew, slave nor free. Vast misconceptions where we're at. Even to the point that if our children aren't murdered in this thing that produces freedom, then we indoctrinate them and we teach them a level of acceptance that isn't accepting this person, but is accepting a movement that abolishes what is contrary to, uh, that is a different definition of freedom or a, or a biblical definition of identity. We indoctrinate the children or cause them to accept it. This is the world in which we live. So much to the point that I had one parent tell me that, oh, yes, in our elementary school, here in Hancock County, we've got a quote from a supposed student that they want to see same-sex relationships or marriages accepted in their lifetime or something. I haven't read it myself. This is at an age that is far younger than their level of maturity allows. And where it continues and we see ads and things pop up and, and with the, with the uh, debatable... Um, issue of you know transgender reading hour where we set our children on the laps of these that are full force and sway of this movement and even companies now somehow or another are 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 able to produce mass market and even advertise making smaller sexual appendages for themselves at the early ages of like say 5 years old so that they can pretend they're of the opposite sex. This is bold language, and I realize this is not falling easily on our ears. All of this seems to so devalue our children and really condition them as we teach them this is acceptable, this is equality, this is freedom. And it prepares our children within this community for slavery in the sex trade. I say this community. Within our schools, we've had teachers convicted of this sort of heinous behavior. Others have been overlooked and simply released quietly. Some, it's just shunned and said, well, it's not what that looks like in our schools. Believe it. It's true. It's in our churches within this county that we have had men convicted for crimes against children sexually. Others with allegations that refuse to be pursued. Pastors, teachers, parents, family, friends, coaches. Slavery. Not of some past generation where someone has owed anything. Children that are enslaved for this level of work. The 
This is the community in which Christ is teaching this message. We could talk about historically and Jews and Greek and hedonism and I fear that they have nothing on where we stand today. That's our context. Now let's come to the passage. Jesus is, he speaks plainly and pointedly to our condition. You've heard it said, it was of old, it should not commit adultery. Which what this is, is, is leaving the context of marriage and pursuing relationship outside of marriage. But I say, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Lust is that sin which looks after something to make it our own when it is not our own to have. That's lust. What he's doing is describing. He is not, I don't, I don't believe Christ at all in this first public sermon is, I don't think he's devaluing that work of restricting the flesh, of, of, of bringing our flesh and, and causing it to submit to the word. I don't, I don't believe he is, he's, he's dealing with and, and coming down against those who are simply tempted and work to suppress you know, their, their evil desires. What he seems to be doing is clearly laying bare the evil heart of man and showing us that it is not just some simple outward piety that he seeks to produce. It's not by twisting the arm of the Jew and causing them to behave a certain way. He's showing us that the root of sin is much deeper than that. Is you know he'll go on to address you know cutting off limbs and things like that. Here he's revealing the root of sin is where in our heart. It's in here. And so simply speaking, I think that that he's trying to get it to the heart of the issue and make clear that he doesn't expect anyone to whom he's speaking in this, to this biblical audience. Anyone to whom this word goes forward to this morning, anyone who has an encounter with Christ, no one, a man cannot come to Jesus Christ and not be transformed. It doesn't happen, am I right? Maybe there's some who question. Maybe you have in your mind someone who professes Christianity and yet there is no fruit. Did, did they encounter Christ? Perhaps they encountered a, a half Christ. There is no such thing, brothers and sisters. There is that which is Christ. And then there is anti-Christ. He's revealing the root of sin in our heart. The heart that is utterly sinful and depraved and wretched. The heart that he works to redeem and, and, and for which he will cleanse. The heart upon which he will write his word. The heart that he will transform. The heart he's going to rip out of stone and put a new heart in. And so... I want this to drive home. Don't think this message is not 
for you this morning because that seems to go beyond a simple outward uh, suffering of sin. I've counseled a number of people who have struggled in this and have had my share of struggle in this in times past. And the man that tells me, whenever I press and I say, tell me about your, your sin struggle, your, your struggle with lust. He says, yeah, you know, I really don't have trouble with that. I begin to become skeptical and I look for the occasion to press in and test him on that. If that man is unaware, he's in great danger. And it's no different for women, especially in our day and age. My wife went through a study some time back and, and, and one of the, the, her very favorite expressions coming out of this study was speaking to the woman whose feet were pointed towards home. Amen. The reason I define lust is seeking that outside of this relationship, you know, to be your something that is not yours, you know, to seek this enjoyment of. Because any time that, that her feet are pointed not towards the home, but that, that come in that are for self or towards the world or, or engagement or success or anything else that don't come to build up this godly institution that reflects the gospel, then, then, then a woman can be guilty of the same. This is, not a, this is not a sexist sermon. Sin is not sexist. And so he continues and he uses this. I think and it's important. We'll touch on this. Why did Christ so talk about our heart, this sinful heart? And then he goes immediately shifting gears. And we don't see this all the time quoted together. But he continues through the passage. There's going to be overlap between our second and third points there. He says, he sinned already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it's profitable that, you, that one of your members perish. And not the whole body going to hell. And the same thing with the hand. Lop off the hand, pluck out the eye. And yet he's just got done telling us it's your heart that produces the sin. And so not many of us are ready to, uh, to apply this so literally. Which if in fact it was your hand that caused you to sin. I don't think God would look down on it if you cut off your hand and then you sin no more. I think it's that grave of an issue. Nevertheless, we know Jesus is speaking in what's called hyperbole. Hyperbole. All that means is that that's whenever someone uses an exaggeration in order to make a point. And yet we come to this passage and say, yeah, that's hyperbole. You know, he didn't mean that drastic. It was hyperbole. So much so that, that, I, that I read of an uneducated politician who says, yeah, there's so much hyperbole in Scripture, we can't take the Bible literally. It's got to be something else. We can't believe the Bible. There's so much parable and hyperbole. And yet I ask you, why would Jesus use hyperbole? Why would he address the sin of our heart and then go immediately to cutting off our own limbs? What else is he trying to communicate? Other than the state of your salvation, your very life depends on this matter. 
And so we don't shy away. That word hell, I've had people say, oh, that's not, you know, my God, I don't believe in a hell. And this is increasing among us in Christendom. People that don't believe that there is such a place. And they say, oh, yeah, and they've done a little bit of study. And they say, yeah, that's Gehenna. That's a, a geography. That's a place where the land of burning bodies. Well, what is Christ pointing to? Daggone it, everybody dies. Everybody died back then too. Everybody ends up dead, yet Christ is pointing to something different. He's talking about there is the life that ends due to indulgence in this world and the life that goes on for eternity that lives in the purity brought by Jesus Christ. So don't let the hyperbole soften this message. He spoke it to strengthen his message. And yet we've already seen, according to Christ's word, it's not your hand that causes you to sin. It's your evil heart. And he's not talking about some, some grotesque thing and, and cutting out our own heart or anything. He's talking about surrendering your evil heart. Laying it bare. Allowing him to do this work to transform fully in handling sexual sin. This is what Paul uses in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And he, and he talks the same sort of grotesque metaphor in sacrificing the body. I'll read it to you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good acceptable and perfect will of God. There is a transformation that occurs in which our body is left away. It is sacrificed before God and made an acceptable spiritual offering before the Lord. That is what we are being laid bare. We are allowing the, the, the sword that is the word of God to split us Soul from spirit, bone from marrow to divide, just cut us in half, rid us of our sin and produce in us life abundantly that bears fruit. And so the way we handle sin is, is by rooting it out and it is an uncomfortable thing. Don't think that if you walk the aisle and you take a swim that oh, it got easy. This is not an event in your life. This is a perpetual lifestyle this is a way of life he speaks to divorce we've got a little bit of time it has been said I'm in the verse 31 whosoever shall put away his wife let him give her a writing of divorcement again he's talking to an Old Testament uh, law this however is not out of the Ten Commandments. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Now I want to sort of give one caveat here. Um, we can sometimes be guilty of treating divorce as this sort of unforgivable sin. And I will make clear to you that whenever one has endured that, and, and seen divorce, 
I don't see where I can hold someone accountable to the, and they were an unbeliever. If someone's an unbeliever and they, they, they had divorce or something, um, and, uh, and then they come to salvation, I don't see how I'm going to hold against them what Christ no longer does. And so I want us to be careful in that. There are occasions in which this occurs, severe abuse, or if someone leaves, you know, there's other scriptures we could go to. However, I'm not convinced in the context of this message that Jesus is giving here in this Sermon on the Mount that that's the main point of the issue. Because if we look closely, we see this certificate of divorcement, what, what the Jewish people had just made a uh, just happenstance and it treated so lightly and just whenever they failed to desire one another anymore and it was a matter of their convenience and they so devalued marriage and so devalued their spouse that they would seek this divorcement, Christ elsewhere addresses that and they try to trick him in different ways. They try to, try to trick him with you know, a, a spouse who is uh, married seven times over and never receives a child. And she continues marrying the, the brother who, to whom she married with her never give nor receive. They, they, they address the topic of divorce and he clarifies, yeah, Moses gave divorce, but it was because of the hardness of your heart in the beginning. It was not so. God designs marriage for a purpose in revealing himself. Paul touches on this again in his letter to the Ephesians chapter 5. We don't have time to go there. But he makes clear that his discussion on marriage is, is important so far as it reflects Christ and the church. So that I think in the nature even of this sermon Jesus is giving, the purity of the church is of more importance than just marriages, individual marriages out here. He talks about, the, the, you know, except for the cause of fornication, and, and he addresses this back whenever this law was given in, uh, in Leviticus. He addresses this and where he's not prescribing some weird version of wife swap or, 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 or bringing back. He, he, he hopes even in the giving of this commandment to maintain purity in the people of Israel. That was the goal back then when the commandment was given. It was the goal whenever Christ is speaking now. And it's the goal in the New Testament whenever we learn about marriage is the purity of the church is communicating the gospel. There is an unlikely circumstance that was prescribed in a unique way to the prophet Hosea. Whenever he, he called him and said, hey, take a prostitute as a wife. And then she, she's sinful and she gets herself back in, tied up in slavery. He says, hey, go buy and buy her back out of slavery and take her again as your wife. And we see this going on, not as prescription for the people of God, but in order to communicate to the people of God, you're impure. This cannot be so. Repent and hold fast to Christ, to your bridegroom. And still we should pattern ourselves, and I don't care. I don't care if you've been divorced. I don't care if you've suffered sexual sin. I don't, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is repent. Look to Christ. He is our bridegroom. We hold fast to Him. It's He that grants purity. You understand? You can cut off both your hands and pluck out both your eyes and you're no less sinful. Turn your heart over to God. 
Allow Christ to fulfill a purity in you. Don't you think you find this interesting? I warned you all, this falls hard and don't lie to me on where you're at in sexual sin or pointing yourself toward home or that you've been entirely pure. Don't lie to me this morning. Christ is speaking this morning in a way that reveals sin in the people of God and calls you back to Him. Whenever He's already said in 17 through 20, I fulfill it. You've got to come to me. And that's why we sum up and we see that we need Christ. And thank God, He doesn't issue a certificate of divorce. That He so calls us back to be His people. And no, no, not in that, yeah, you've been defiled and comes back. If y'all are doing some Bible theology and have already turned to Leviticus on me, oh no, He doesn't have a defiled wife, does He? He purifies her, washes her in the water with the Word, makes her without blemish, spot, or wrinkle. He's removed her sin as far as the east is from the west and brought her to himself in perfection because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I hope you see, if you've ever heard this preach this morning and you've been so convicted because of the way you went in their life and you went on in guilt, that is not this morning. Christ is describing a perfect and holy kingdom that he has come to inaugurate. One that he's come to bring in and a bride he's come to prepare. And what is consistent with all of scripture is that Jesus is the way in which this happens. He is the fulfillment. And this isn't the central passage. This is the whole sermon. I'm preaching a sermon on a part of Jesus' sermon. Remember that. Jesus is the focus. And we see the way in which our sexual purity really just displays a heavenly unity in Christ. That's the point. It's the only reason it matters. That's the only reason your marriage matters is so far as it reveals Christ in His church. And He's given us ways. He's, he's given us prescriptions, ways in which that does perfectly display the gospel. I hope that this does bear down upon us. If you cannot look and realize where we are at and suffer disgust, I, I'm not sure where you're at right now. But whenever we come to things such as sex and marriage, and relationship, even things when we need repentance, all this we're talking about, this is the glory of God. He didn't bring us a checklist. He didn't bring us good advice. He brought us good news. And so I do. If you're not relying on Christ, listen, I know. I fought for years trying to make recompense on my own. Trying to uh, become pure by the way that I acted. And it wasn't good enough. Every time I'd come to something like this, I was broke down again and again and again. And the reason that happens, if that's where you're at, is because you're not trusting in Christ. You come to this, you fall in Christ, and you allow that to take care of your guilt 
and you allow that to give new life. Not the same old life. You don't walk in death, but we seek transformation. We seek life in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you came in the flesh. Father, that you fulfilled this law, but that you did not shy away from applying your word or your ministry to your people. Father, I pray that's true here. I pray this morning that, that no one here leaves with some heavy burden, but a burden relieved. Father, I pray that we, we come to this uh, and no matter where we are, no matter where our past is, no matter even as we pursue new relationships, some of us in here, Father, that we see the way in which you reveal yourself in wonderful things such as sex and marriage. Father, I pray every person would leave here having their sin been laid bare before this altar through Christ alone, not through me, not through the prayer basket, but through Christ. Lord, that that sin would be rooted out. And Lord, that you would grant life to these. Father, that you would ease this burden and enslavement, that we would see correct definitions of freedom in the gospel that we would see equality that transcends boundaries of slavery and, and of, of, of gender or sex or, or of anything. Lord, that we would see a respect, not of peoples, but in Christ, of all that bear your image, God. And Lord, that by your grace, we would end the great travesty of the child sex trade that has scarred this nation as the most corrupt in all the world on this front. Lord, that you would redeem the circumstance of these children. Lord, that you would open the eyes of, of everyone here that we would call this out, that we would recognize it and, and be a protector of the defenseless in this way. And God, that you would so glorify yourself in the fulfillment of this very prayer. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to New Life Preaching, sermons from New Life Baptist Church, where we grow in discipleship, grow in relationship, and we grow in Jesus Christ. Please subscribe so that you don't miss a Sunday.